Santa Cruz, you got to be a cool guy if you're from Santa Cruz, right? Like, no one ever goes, oh, this douchebag from Santa Cruz cut me off while I was... It's, it doesn't exist, right? There's, oh, Did they yeah. just banish all the douchebags? Yeah. Don't they have, like, like the old-time dog catchers would have? Like, they just <laughs> come around with a van and hit the douchebags. Yeah. Like, the guys are wearing, like, the Ed Hardy T-shirts in their 50s. They're like, sorry. <laughs> you head over to Buellton or something. Go have some fucking split pea soup, douche. But we can't have you here. You're fucking our curve up. Yeah. Kevin, I mean, he really drives the ship in an amazing way on the show. And... You know, he is one of the guys that just brings not only, like, just funny, funny jokes, but a huge intelligence, and he just gets stuff done. Funny is good, and Kevin's funny, but bright, right. even even better, and the guy's just super high IQ. Exactly. Someone comes onto the school and... And you've got Kevin. Now, I'm sure Kevin's shit hot at Call of Duty, but it might not fucking cut it, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Kevin, you might want to put on a gas mask around 7.45 a.m., you know what I'm saying? y'all doing it's me it's kevin i'm back for episode three of the life of riley podcast and i am i'm fired up people super fired up took me a little bit to get to this episode but i'm super stoked to be doing it um it's gonna be a lot of fun i think it's gonna be a lot of me ranting and raving which everybody always loves right Anyway, um, before I start the episode, the obvious first thing to do is a huge shout out to Luke and Hamish at the Press X to Jump podcast out of New Zealand. Uh, We did five and a half hours on their show. Um, And to their huge credit, they put it all out there. I love it. Uh, Two separate downloads so as to not overload your device. Um, But if you check them out at their website or SoundCloud or iTunes uh, or anything, you can check out the massive uh, episode that we did. God, that was so much fun. Um, I will obviously include links on the webpage. Um, also shout outs to fresh, fresh likes and subscribers. First and foremost, Daniel Lucas from Palmerston North in NZ. Thanks so much for checking in, subscribing and liking the Facebook page. So, so great to see you, mate. I'm super excited. In addition, Mr. Mike Moorhead from Artesia, New Mexico. Thanks for checking in and liking the Facebook page and congratulations on your engagement. It's not going to be one of those 10 year things, is it? They don't like that, dude. Just make it happen. You feel me? And my friend, Rochelle Naroyan. 
from right here in Santa Cruz, a member of, an elected member of our own city council has liked the Life of Riley Facebook page. So thanks so much for that, Rochelle. Love ya. Before we get started, I want to, this is a, a feature I want to have on virtually every episode, I hope. Wendy and I, producer Wendy, and I are always on the lookout for new podcasts and there's three in this episode that i want to give shout outs to the first one is out of australia and it's called it's probably fine uh, it's one aussie guy and one brit and a lot of fun so check those guys out again i'll put links on the web page the next podcast I want to mention is four women out of Atlanta, Georgia, here in the good old U.S. of A. That website or that podcast is called Black Balance. Check out their first episode, Oscar the Grouch. And the third one that I want to mention here at the intro is called Actual Innocence. It's a podcast about all of the people here in the States that have been wrong, wrongfully convicted and eventually exonerated. I've listened to their first episode, which is about a gentleman by the name of Mark Taylor, who spent 17 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Um, this is the kind of stuff that we really need to be paying attention to and telling our officials and our prosecutors and our police forces um, that it's not okay to stick people in jail unless you're absolutely fucking positive that they did it. So big ups to the Actual Innocence podcast for putting that information out there. Um, I'm not... Anybody who knows me knows I'm a huge supporter of law enforcement, and I actually do believe in the justice system, but you got to do it the right way. Um, so the more the more focus and the more attention that's put on uh, faulty imprisonment and and innocent people being convicted, the more we can hold their sort of face to the fire and make sure that they guarantee that when they convict somebody, it's not just a matter of the prosecutor's conviction rate. You feel me? All right. Let's get on with the episode. Episode three. This is something I touched on briefly in an episode of the School of Talk, uh, my old podcast, but didn't really get to explore quite as much as I wanted to. And that is the subject of ESAs, which is the acronym for Emotional Support animals. One of the great things about having a podcast is it gives you this marvelous ability to vent your spleen when you get frustrated about things. Um, so that'll probably be a pretty common theme here on the life of Riley is just me on my soapbox ranting about shit that frustrates and pisses me off. 
and emotional support animals, the way they're used in this country, um, really gets my goat. When you see it, it to me, it's it's exactly the same thing as perfectly able-bodied people using handicap placards to be able to park in the handicap spaces close to the door of, you know, a business. It absolutely drives me fucking batshit when people pretend that they have a disability of some kind that they don't, or when they uh, magnify a disability that they might have to get special treatment. It absolutely fucking pisses me off because all it does is make life harder for those who actually deserve and need the special dispensation that these laws provide. Um, so, you know, the rich lady with her little fucking Pomeranian that wants to bring it into the restaurant, the, uh, you know, one of the biggest places that I, that I'm seeing it is on airplanes, you know, people claiming that they're, you know, because, and we'll get into the details of this in a little bit, but the ways the laws are here in the States, um, if you can have a doctor write a letter that says, oh yeah, so-and-so uh, has an emotional disorder and needs this animal for emotional support, they, you, they, well, the assumption is that you can take them almost anywhere, but the way it works with airlines specifically uh, is pretty lax and pretty random and so people who just want people who just like to take their dogs with them everywhere they go and don't want to pay to have the dog uh fly like the rest of us do following the actual rules um and want to bring their you know panting barking biting aisle shitting vomiting obnoxious dog onto the plane without having to pay any special any extra fee they get to because there's people online who will write these letters for them and that's what we're going to get to and it this kind of shit just drives me fucking bonkers So let's be real clear here. I'm not talking about service animals. The difference between a service animal and an emotional support animal is virtually night and day. All right, so let's reach straight out to the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, that has done so much good uh, for disabled people in this country. And let's see what they say about the 
comparison between a service animal and an emotional support animal or comfort animal. Okay. And there will be links to everything I talk about. I always cite my sources, folks. Emotional support animals, comfort animals, and therapy dogs are not service animals under Title II and Title III of the ADA. Other species of animals, whether wild or domestic, trained or untrained, are not considered service animals either. The work or tasks performed by a service animal must be directly related to the individual's disability. It does not matter if a person has a note from a doctor that states that the person has a disability and needs to have the animal for emotional support. A doctor's letter does not turn an animal into a service animal. Examples of animals that fit the ADA's definition of service animal because they have been specifically trained to form a task for the person with a disability. Guide dog or seeing dog, seeing eye dog, is a carefully trained dog that serves as a travel tool for persons who have severe visual impairments or are blind. A hearing or signal dog is a dog that has been trained to alert a person who has a significant hearing loss or is deaf when a sound occurs, such as a knock on the door. Psychiatric service dog is a dog that has been trained to perform tasks that assist individuals with disabilities to detect the onset of psychiatric episodes and lessen their effects. Tasks performed by psychiatric service animals may include reminding the handler to take medicine, providing safety checks or room searches, or turning on lights for persons with post-traumatic stress disorder. Interrupting self-mutilation by persons with disassociative identity disorders and keeping disoriented individuals from danger. SSIG dog, sensory signal dogs or social signal dog, is a dog trained to assist a person with autism. The dog alerts the handler to distracting repetitive movements common among those with autism, allowing the person to stop the movement, for example, hand flapping. Seizure, seizure response dog is a dog trained to assist a person with a seizure disorder. How the dog serves the person depends on the person's needs. The dog may stand guard over the person during a seizure, or the dog may go for help. A few dogs have learned to predict a seizure and warn the person in advance to sit down or move to a safe place. Okay, are you guys following the concept here? A service dog is highly fucking trained. Getting it? All right. Under Title II and Three of the ADA, service animals are limited to dogs. However, entities must make re reasonable modifications in policies to allow individuals with disabilities to use miniature horses if they have been individually trained to do work or perform tasks for individuals with disabilities. So as far as the ADA is concerned, service animals are dogs, but can also sometimes be miniature horses as long as they are similarly trained 
to serve the person's disability. Still speaking from the ADA here, while emotional support animals or comfort animals are often used as part of a medical treatment plan as therapy animals, they are not considered service animals under the ADA. These support animals provide companionship, relieve loneliness, and sometimes help with depression, anxiety, and certain phobias, but do not have special training to perform tasks that assist people with disabilities. Even though some states have laws defining therapy animals, these animals are not limited to working with people with disabilities and therefore are not covered by federal laws protecting the use of service animals. Therapy animals provide people with therapeutic contact, usually in a clinical setting, to improve their physical, social, emotional, and or cognitive functioning. So, I mean, that's all pretty straightforward, right? A service animal is an animal, usually a dog, that is specifically trained usually for many years in order to assist someone who has a very specific disability. These are highly trained animals. An emotional service animal is something cuddly that makes you feel better. And I'm not discounting the power of having a companion animal, especially if you're someone who has anxiety, who has panic disorder. There are so many ways in which having a companion animal can be beneficial. But to equate the two and to say that a companion animal who just makes your life more comfortable is equitable to a highly trained service animal is just bullshit. And the lengths to which this is being stretched are asinine and nauseating. One of the main ways that I see it is in air travel here in the States. You have these people bringing completely untrained, usually not even obedience-trained dogs into the airport, onto the airplane. They let them often run around the airplane. They shit in the airport terminal. They shit in the fucking airplane. Uh, There's stories, I I may link to one, there's stories of planes having to be diverted to land because one of these so-called ESAs was shitting up the plane so bad people were getting sick. Something has to be done about this stuff, folks. So what, what, what are the rules when it comes to airlines? Let's jump into that since it's my main pet peeve. The Air Carrier Access Act doesn't allow, I mean, uh, by the name of it, the Air Carrier Access Act, you should under you should be able to, if you can't figure out what that relates to, 
if I have to explain that to you, you probably shouldn't listen to the show. Um, that act does not allow s- service dro- dogs in training in the cabin of an aircraft. So even a dog that is being trained and working towards being a service animal is not allowed in the cabin of an aircraft until it's fully trained. You can't bring it on there to help with the training. Yet you can bring an ESA, which by definition is not trained in any way into the cabin of an aircraft. That makes no fucking sense, people. The reason you can't bring a service animal in training into the cabin of an aircraft is because in training status indicates that they do not yet meet the legal definition of service animal. However, like pet policies, airline policies regarding service animals in training vary. Some airlines permit qualified trainers to bring service animals in training aboard an aircraft for training purposes. Okay, I'm fine with that. If somebody is training a dog, a professional certified trainer is training a dog, and they want to bring it on to train, and the airline allows that, I'm completely down with that. I think that's a great idea. But since you need to make special dispensation and have a professional trainer bring the dog in training onto the plane, how come you can bring your fucking Yorkie on that hasn't been trained in anything and will just shit wherever it wants to? From a website uh, called servicedogcentral.org. What are the special requirements when traveling with an emotional support animal? According to them, special requirements when traveling with an ESA. Special documentation cannot generally be required of a person traveling with a service animal unless the carrier has reason to doubt the animal is a service animal after first speaking with the handler, possibly asking what tasks the animal is trained to perform. Makes sense, right? Somebody shows up, claims that their animal is a service animal. The airline can say, well... What is this animal trained to do? And then the person says, well, I'm blind, I'm visually impaired, I'm hearing impaired, I'm deaf, I have epilepsy, whatever. Um, However, documentation is required of a person traveling with an emotional support animal in the form of a doctor's letter. And this is when we get into... The real bullshit. A person traveling with an ESA must have a letter not more than one year old on letterhead from a mental health professional stating all of the following. One, that the passenger has a mental health related disability listed in the DSM. Four, this one says four later here. It's, it's referenced as five. The DSM is, uh, hang on a second. The DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Okay, so the passenger has a mental health-related disability listed 
in that. Note it is not just a mental illness diagnosis, but a mental illness because you see airlines are not permitted to require that you divulge your specific type of mental health disability, right? Which makes sense. It's a privacy thing. Um, all the letter has to say is that this person has been diagnosed with something that's covered by the DSM. Uh, the second requirement to travel with an ESA is the presence of the animal is necessary to the passenger's health or treatment. The third thing is that the individual writing the letter is a licensed medical health professional and that the passenger is under his or her care. A quote from the website says, The purpose of this provision is to prevent abuse by passengers that do not have a medical need for an emotional support animal and to ensure that passengers who have a legitimate need for emotional support animals are permitted to travel with their service animals on the aircraft. If only that's the way it was being used. If fucking only. I found a article from the Chicago Tribune about this very topic. Pulled a quote from it that I thought was fantastic. Quote, increasingly, those either too emotionally frail to fly without their pet, too unwilling to pay an airline's pet fee, or too self-centered to care about those around them are exploiting laws designed to help the truly disabled so that they can bring their pets onto planes as emotional support animals. A cottage industry has sprung up to serve these emotional support animal enthusiasts, selling service dog pet tags and harnesses to give untrained animals that official veneer long reserved for real service dogs. Ig fucking exactly. This self-indulgent trend is making things harder for the trained service dogs that help the truly disabled, according to Paul Mundell of Canine Companions for Independence, a nonprofit that trains service dogs for years before bequeathing them to those who really need them. Any pet dedect, bedecked in a service vest as they use a restaurant floor as a bathroom Howl in a coach cabin or nip at passersby give a bad name to the legitimate, well-behaved, vest-wearing dogs with important jobs to do, Mundell said. And that's a huge part of my problem with this growing ESA trend is the more assholes we have taking their untrained, uncivilized dogs into businesses, restaurants, museums, airplanes, train carriages, taxi cabs, buses. To think of any public place where these narcissistic fucks are forcing their untrained pets upon us. All it does is 
Well, hope, I mean, I wish that we lived in a world where people could just look at those people and go, wow, you're an asshole. Get out of here with your dog. But one of the side effects of it is if, if one of these assholes brings their untrained dog into a, a business, say a restaurant or a hotel lobby, and that dog misbehaves in some way, I mean, a, a, a minor way would be urinating or defecating in a public space, right? I mean, that's fucked up, but it's not that massive. But these dogs have been known to bite people, nip at people, even attack legitimate service dogs. <laughs> and all that does is potentially, because the, the business owner is worried about liability and lawsuits, right? So... When, if the business owner isn't educated in the difference between a service dog and an ESA, and an ESA comes in and bites somebody, then that's gonna that's gonna become an issue for the legitimate service dogs, and that's a really big deal folks that you know just because you can't be without fluffy so the next for thing, a couple of hours and i don't have a is not enough this, reason sure to negatively impact someone's business colorado people's lives passed a law more difficult the for the truly misrepresentation of an assistance animal to a class two petty offense bring there which makes colorado one of 17 states with, with laws prohibiting people from claiming that untrained animals are assistant animals. <laughs> that should be all 50 states. Okay. That should be illegal. On a related note, some states also prohibit people from falsely claiming they have disabilities. That should also be all 50 fucking states. Unfortunately, when people bring their untrained pets out to places at which only assistance dogs have legal access, it often results in pets actively acting aggressively towards legitimate assistance dogs or acting inappropriately in public. This is what I was just speaking to, right? Sometimes business owners then discriminate against legitimate assistance dogs after experiencing negative situations with untrained pets in their establishments. And let's be clear here, a poorly behaved actual service dog can be removed. You, you can't, if you, if you have a legitimate service animal and it behaves badly in an establishment, you can be forced to leave. You know, and yes, you, you know, you, uh, someone with an assistance animal is permitted to take their animal into a place that otherwise does not allow animals. But if that animal then misbehaves, you can be forced to leave. That's why they're so highly trained, everybody. So there's a website you should all check out. I'm not going to give them any more... Um, time on here rather than just to say 
check out the link that I post and see how fucking nauseating it is. It's called esaregistration.org. And I will put a link on a website, but uh, if anybody who listens to this actually signs up for that shit, I'd be more than happy if you unsubscribed because that is a bullshit organization. It makes me sick. So the the main the main uh, source that I had when we talked about this on the old show, was this amazing and awesome article in the New Yorker magazine by Patricia Marks. Um, it was from the October 20th, 2014 issue of New Yorker magazine, and it's called Pets Allowed. I went into a fair amount of detail about everything that she did on that show. So... Even though I know most of you haven't heard it, I'm not going to reiterate all of the really comical and fun stuff. I'm just going to sort of touch on it because I learned a lot in that article and it was a great expose on how scared business owners and other people are when they think they're being threatened with a law that doesn't exist. So what Ms. Marx did in that episode or in that uh, article was to test the boundaries of what you could get away with in essentially the, you know, Manhattan Metro New York City area when it comes to service animals. And she borrowed a bunch of different animals and took them around the city, uh, including one on an airplane ride. But she went to some of the most like, you know, like the Chanel boutique and the Frick museum and all of these really, really sort of high end, richy rich type of places. It's not like, you know, she, she did go to CVS with one of the animals and, and things like that. But mostly she was just going, what, how, how much can I get away with here? And it was astounding the shit that she was allowed to do. Um, one of the things, and the, the, here's a quote from her article. Uh, and, uh, and of course it, it, it refers specifically to, um, to the city's health code, this next quote, and that's obviously New York City. So I'm not saying every city has this. I hope they do. But in this particular quote, she's speaking about New York City. And the quote is, Contrary to what many business managers think, having an emotional support card merely means that one's pet is registered in a database of animals whose owners have paid anywhere from 70 to $200 to one of several organizations, none of which are recognized by the government. Even with a card, it is against the law and a violation of the city's health code to take an animal into a restaurant. Nor does an emotional support card entitle you to bring your pet into a hotel, store, taxi, train, 
or a park. But people are so scared about being sued, they just let it fucking happen. Right? So, <laughs> oh, this fucking thing. If it wasn't so wrong, it would be even funnier. I mean, it is really funny. But, <clears throat> so, so what she did was she contacted online, you know, and all you got to do is Google search emotional support animal registration and you'll get a million different sites that'll help you uh, recognize your animal as an ESA. So <laughs> she, she did one where you have to call and I'm just trying to find it here in my notes. So her, her, here's how she got her, her quote unquote diagnosis. She called, uh, she found this site, ESA Registration of America, which is, I'm pretty sure, the site that I just cited as being so nauseating. Uh, she's in New York, remember? She says, I found a clinical social worker in California who at a cost of $140 agreed to evaluate me over the phone to discuss the role of Augustus, the snake, in my life. To prepare for the session, I concocted a harrowing backstory. When I was six, I fell into a pond and almost drowned. There was a snake in the water that I grabbed onto just before I was rescued by my father, and ever since, I'd found comfort in scaly vertebrates. So this was the backstory that she had concocted, right? So she calls this therapist, and the therapist says, Now... Let's talk about your problems. What's your snake's name? Patricia says, Augustus. How does Augustus help you with your problems? How far back should I go? Just the last six months. Um, he provides unconditional love, and I feel safe when he's around. He's a good icebreaker, too, if I'm feeling shy. You want to have more ease outside the house. Now, I want to do a generalized anxiety screening with you. In the last 14 days, have you felt anxious or on edge nearly every day, more than seven days, or less than seven days? I'd say around seven. Using the same parameters, she asked Patricia to rate her worrying, trouble relaxing, ability to sit, sit still, irritability, and dread that something awful might happen. The next day, Patricia received the following email. Hi, Patricia. It was my pleasure to speak to you today. Attached is your ESA letter. Enjoy the benefits of having your ESA with you more now. All the best. And here's the letter that she received for $140 
from this therapist based on that conversation, based on that conversation that I just read to you. To whom it may concern regarding Patricia Marks. Ms. Marks has been evaluated for and diagnosed with a mental health disorder as defined in the DSM-5. Her psychological condition affects daily life activities, ability to cope, and maintenance of psychological stability. It also can influence her physical status. Ms. Marks has a turtle that provides significant emotional support and ameliorates the severity of symptoms that affect her daily ability to fulfill her responsibilities and goals. Without the companionship, support, and caretaking activities of her turtle, her mental health and daily living activities are compromised. In my opinion, it is a necessary component of treatment to foster improved psychological adjustment, support functional living activities, her well-being, productivity in work and home responsibilities, and amelioration of the severity of psychological issues she experiences in some specific situations to have an emotional support animal. She has registered her pet with the Emotional Support Animal Registration of America. This letter further supports her pet as an ESA, which entitles her to the rights and benefits legitimized by the Fair Housing Act and the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. It allows exceptions to housing and transportation services that otherwise would limit her from being able to be accompanied by her emotional support animal. Holy fucking shitballs, people. Is that not the hugest pile of fuck dung you've ever heard? And just, you know, in in case actually talking to somebody on the phone is too much trouble, you can actually go, there's a website where you can go and just fill out a 74-question exam, uh, and then within two days, they'll send you the necessary paperwork for just under 200 bucks. So here's what Ms. Marks did, which I think is just so fucking genius. She took that same letter which I know I said snake and then I read turtle in the letter. Well, um, she had the snake story, but she had all these different animals that she was going to use. And that's why there's that difference. What she did is there's five different animals that she used and she took that letter and, you know, on, on her computer, just like, you know, cut out the, type of animal and put in the other animal and then printed it out as she as she did her uh investigation so so these are the these are the animals that she used and in all cases was allowed into at least 90 percent of the places that she went to i highly encourage you to read the article Uh, i will link to it on the website Sharing it here would take entirely too long, but it's a fantastic read. It shows just how ridiculous this topic has become, and it's also really, really funny. Um, But just to give you a taste of it, here are the five animals that 
she experimented with taking them into these really high-end places. A 15-pound, 13-inch turtle, which for those of my friends on the metric is nearly 7 kilograms and 33 centimeters. A 30-inch, 76-centimeter Mexican milk snake. A 26-pound, which is 12 kilograms, Royal Palm Turkey. It's not one of the turkeys that we tend to eat. It's one of these big fucking giant turkeys. Um, a 26-pound, same size, 12-kilogram pig that she took on an airplane, which is a hilarious story. And my absolute favorite, a four-and-a-half-foot-tall, 105-pound, which is nearly a meter and a half, 48-kilogram alpaca that she took into a CVS and into the Frick Museum, which houses some absolutely priceless works of art, including pottery and things like that that could be easily knocked over if an animal went batshit. If you don't know what an alpaca is, it's basically a little bit, it's a smaller version of a llama. And if you don't know what a llama is, it's basically a small version of a camel. All right. These are not docile animals. So why does this piss me off so bad? Why does this drive me up the proverbial wall? Well, there's a lot of reasons. One is the narcissism, the selfishness, the I'm the only person that matters. Then there's also the part that I've already mentioned that it minimizes the importance of actual service animals to those who really, really need them to be able to live, to, to be able to live a life that is even remotely comparable to that of those of us that are able-bodied. But for me, there's an additional aspect because I do suffer from high anxiety, panic attacks, um, what Adam Carolla sometimes refers to or often refers to as hypervigilance. Um, there's every bit of evidence shy of an actual diagnosis that I'm on the autist, uh, autism spectrum. And getting on an airplane does spike my anxiety. It's not that I'm afraid to fly. It's the confined area. It's the huge amounts of people that I don't know. It's the um, utter, I can't even say disrespect, but just the, the, you know, I mean, the, you know, like the guy in front of you that just slams his chair back with no warning, or when he stands up, he has to push back on the, on the back of his chair or the guy behind you that uses your chair to help him stand up. It's just the pure inconsiderateness, if that's a word, of people on airplanes, 
you know, the, the, I need, I need, I need this overhead bin, but that's the one over my seat. Yeah, I don't care. I need the one closer to the front so I can grab it on my way out. But no, but then I have to walk backwards to get, you know, I'm not afraid to fly. I actually like flying, but it's the people, the hundreds of assholes on the plane. And I also love animals, especially dogs and have been involved in obedience training many dogs starting when I was six or seven years old. And for me, taking an untrained dog onto an airplane for a five-hour flight would only ramp up my anxiety. It would spike my anxiety. I would be so fucking worried that this dog was going to do something, was going to freak out, was going to hyperventilate, was going to have some sort of reaction that would damage itself, let alone whether its nerves would give it digestive problems or its fear would make it start snapping at people. Or It would never fucking occur to me to take an untrained dog into that confined of an area with that many irresponsible, disrespectful people. It's unfair to the dog. And that would freak me out. So to me, that is just further evidence that this is pure narcissism. This is just, I want my dog. I don't care what the other people think, and I don't care how the dog feels. I like having my dog with me, and I found out that if I get this piece of paper, I don't have to pay any extra, and I can take my dog on, and then I can tell everybody, oh my God, he's a total service animal, and everybody will feel sorry for me, and fuck you people. There's a great scene in Adam Carolla's movie, Road Hard, where that that addresses this exact situation um you should check that movie out if you do make sure you pay really really close attention to the credits because my name's in there because i donated uh to the crowdfunding so if you do watch it make sure to pay really really close attention um in that same new yorker article ms mark's talk to Australian philosopher and ethicist Peter Singer, who is best known for his book Animal Liberation. And he takes a dim view of the emotional support animal craze. He says, animals can get as depressed as people do. So there's sometimes an issue about how well people with mental illness can look after their animals. If it is really so difficult for you to be without your animal, maybe you don't need to go to that restaurant or to the Frick Museum. And I think that kind of sums up my opinion on this whole thing. If you can't be in public without disrupting everybody else's lives, maybe you shouldn't just be, maybe you just shouldn't go in public 
because that's not hap that's not what happens with true service animals. Anybody who's listened to previous episodes knows that I managed a restaurant for a period of time. I also have had people in my life who were blind, who had seeing eye dogs and true service dogs are the best behaved pets on the fucking planet. They walk into a restaurant, they lay down under the table, you know, on occasion they might have their tail sticking out a little bit, but you know what? If somebody says, Hey, just so you know, your dog's tail sticking out into the aisle, it might get stepped on, but they'll adjust the dog, you know? So to put these untrained animals on par with actual service animals is, uh, it's just bullshit. And it's, look at me, it's, you know, and now the more and more that it's going, especially on airplanes, anybody who flies domestically in the U.S. has had to have noticed this shit. It's, you know, I mean, we're having planes diverted because of dogs shitting in the aisle. We're having dogs, nervous dogs, shitting at the TSA checkpoint, you know, and the person with the dog, you know, gets to move on while everybody else has to sit there and deal with the reek of their dog's nervous stomach diarrhea. You know, I'm not blaming the dog. I'm blaming the asshole. And I really wish something could, you know, I, I don't even know that I wish the laws need to be changed because when you look through the laws for people who are legitimately applying these laws because I haven't I haven't gone in a whole lot with the the Fair Housing Act and things like that but with so many things especially in areas like here where I live in Santa Cruz where no landlord will let you have a pet people have um you know illegally and uh in bad faith used the Fair Housing Act claimed their dog to be an emotional support animal and then the dog trashes the place and then the landlord goes well let me look into whether i actually have to let people do this and in not in all cases do they have to so the only thing that people like this do with these phony esas is make life harder everybody around them on every level of life people who actually need emotional support animals people who actually need service animals landlords who might be willing to rent to pet owners if not for the way somebody with an esa treated their property because when you look into the way some of the laws are written there are there are these, you know, like some of the federal, the Fair Housing Act and things like that. It's like there's there's provisions in there that the person with the disability doesn't have to clean up after their dog and things like that. And if you read it, it clearly means that if there is an incident of some kind, 
and something happens, you can't force the the mentally ill or, or unstable person who is now possibly on their way to the hospital to clean up whatever mess their dog made. But it's not worded properly. So these people can just let their dog shit everywhere in the common areas of an apartment building or something and then go, hey, it says right here in the Fair Housing Act, I don't have to clean up after my dog. And it's these kind of abuses, just like I said at the beginning, the people, the able-bodied people who use the handicap placards to be able to park closer to the door. The only way... And I'm not the first person to say this. Adam Carolla says it. Bill Burr says it. Lots of other uh, people who have a much louder voice than I do have been saying it for years. I think the way to combat this is shaming. I think we need to start calling these people out on their bullshit in public. Put them on blast. Put them on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, everywhere. If you're in a public place, there is no presumption of privacy. You can videotape or photograph anything that happens. So if you see somebody acting badly with their so-called ESA, fucking record that shit and send it to me. I'll post it. I'll post it in a fucking heartbeat. I'll create a whole YouTube channel based on it. Because I'm getting sick and fucking tired of these assholes. holy shit i could probably rant on and on but we're approaching an hour here so um thanks everybody for listening i hope i hope somewhere within this rambling rant over the last 57 minutes uh, I was able to get my point across. Before I take off, if you haven't yet, definitely go check out Luke and Hamish's podcast, Press X for Jump, and episode 49. If you're able to get through both parts of it, there is so much good shit in that. I'm I'm telling you, I... You know, and the people who have listened to the whole thing so far have all said it went by way quicker than they expected it to. And if you get all the way through, you'll find out a hashtag that we're encouraging people to use on Twitter and Facebook. And if you tag me with that hashtag, I'm going to be getting some Press X for Jump stickers from the boys that I can disseminate here in the states and if you if you tag me with that hashtag you'll get yourself a press x for jump sticker and uh if you're interested once i have an actual logo and get some stickers made you can get a life of riley sticker too um that was so much goddamn fun and i'm gonna have the boys here on life of riley uh here as soon as possible Also, here in a few days, my daughter Taylor is going to be in town uh, for 10 days, and we're going to record an episode of The Life of Riley together, which should be a ton of fun. If you haven't yet seen my appearance on her YouTube channel, 
you should totally check that out. That was fun. Um, and I'll post a link for that on the webpage. So again, thanks everybody for listening. It's been a ton of fun to check in on the website and see the download count going up and seeing, watching like early episodes, like even, even the first toe dip episode getting some attention, um, which is super exciting to me because that's what I do when I find a new podcast. Uh, I often go back to the very first one or I listen to the most recent one and then go back to the first one. And it sort of seems like that's maybe what people are doing with this show, um, which uh, it's just a good feeling. So thanks everybody for hanging in, checking out those of you that have been here uh, the whole time. Those of you that came here from school of talk and an extra special thanks once again to Luke and Hamish. Uh, those guys are just fucking ton of fun. And as always, an extra special thanks to producer Wendy for keeping me on point and cracking the whip when need be to get me to do what needs to be done with this show. All right, everybody. I'll be back soon. Love y'all. Bye-bye.